Are you ready to receive the word of the Lord into your heart this morning? Fantastic. The thing I love about preaching is there is an anointing on the word. I believe there's an anointing upon me to bring the word, but regardless of who I am, the word is anointed. And that word over your life, God can take that word, drop it into your life, drop it into your heart, and bring change, whether that's healing, whether that's family situation, whether that's something that you're believing for, the wisdom of God, whatever, as the word of God. And, it, and it, do you know what? It may not even be a word that I've spoken, but the Holy Spirit drops something into your heart this morning. That's our prayer. The, the, anybody that walks in through these doors are impacted by the presence of God. Well, you, you can't help that already this morning. But then the word of God into your heart brings change because we're all changing. One degree or another, we're all changing. So over the last few weeks, we've been looking at a particular scripture from Hebrews chapter 4. I want to read it to you just in case you haven't been with us. Um, but for those who have, it's now quite a familiar scripture. Hebrews 4 says this, uh, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. And the fact that, uh, what, there's a, I don't know, 90 odd, 100 odd adults in the room, if you've been alive any length of time and you've done college or school or university or you've gone out and got a job, you've got married or you've got divorced or you've had children and they've left home or they're still with you, you know what it is to have trouble or be in need of answers to prayer, or be in need of God moving on your behalf. If you've lived, if you've taken a breath in life, the chances are you've needed God somewhere along the journey. And therefore, this scripture is a scripture that I believe is very important to all of us, that we may come boldly. You know, bold, being bold before God isn't timid or fearful, it's walking up to him with your head held high because you know who you are in Christ. That's key number one, that we know who we are, that we are, we are welcome in his presence, and therefore we can come boldly to his presence. To obtain mercy, those things you don't deserve, you come into his presence and he's already saying, I've shown you mercy. The blood, I see the blood. I see what Jesus has already done on your behalf. To find grace that overwhelming sense of God's willingness to keep giving into our life, even though we don't deserve it, we can't earn it, and his grace to enable us to live that best Christian life, the best God life that we can for him. That grace has been poured out over us. And as I was contemplating two weeks ago, I felt the Lord say to me, I want you to flip the coin and speak about the other side of what this scripture really means. Because this is about us coming close to him and us coming into his presence and us coming boldly before God. But what about those moments when God draws near to us? Now, the familiar passage of scripture that we're probably all aware of is humble yourself before, the, before God. Uh, God resists the proud, he gives grace to the humble. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And I believe that's a very powerful scripture that there's a humbling that goes in our life. There is a coming close to him. And the promise is, as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. But what about those moments when 
perhaps we're going through a time in our life where we're struggling to press in, when we're, we're, we're struggling to believe, when we... See, we, we, we all know that the presence of God is with us, don't we? We know that his presence is always... Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can, we can bank that. That is true. He will never forsake us. But there are moments, uh, and I worshipped at the front of the meeting this morning, and I worshipped at the back of the meeting, and I came back and I worshipped at the front of the meeting. There is something different at the front of the house. There should be a fight for the front three three rows of the church. Because what I experienced in worship there was very different to what I experienced worship here. Now, I'm not saying that the, the anointing is any different at the back. But there is, but there is something different when you worship here. And I don't know why, but there is. So I'd encourage you, if you're a back row person, and I've always in my life been a back row person, there is something happening that is powerful on the front row. I don't know what you felt on the second row, but there's, there's, I don't know what you felt on the third row, but there's something happening let there be a race for the front three rows next week. <laughs> what is it the old Pentecost used to say? Sit by the spout where the glory comes out. That's what the old Pentecostals used to say. Anyway, I, I, well, that wasn't what I was going to say. The flip side, coming, us humbling ourselves, coming before God. We know God is always with us, Yes. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I want you to underline that as a fact. But do you know what? There are t- and I've, I've used this illustration before. There are times when I feel even closer to Jane than my everyday life. And I'm not talking about evening time or bedtime. I'm talking about there's been times in our journey and we felt that closeness like we've never felt before. We may have been in, in the same house, but we've felt closer. We felt like we've experienced a honeymoon experience again many times over 35 years. And we felt close. And it's like, oh, I love you even more. <laughs> okay, let me go. <laughs> who, did, who, who did that? <laughs> Jane loves me so much. Jane loves me so much. We have my van is packed full of full of my my hobby. If you know me well, you know it's fishing. My, full of my hobby, and and we are leaving here in 22 minutes, driving to Devon, sitting by a lake for five days and five nights. What an incredible wife! Anyway, we draw near to one another. But that's how it is with the Lord. We can have a relationship with the Lord, and then all of a sudden in worship, we feel like he's, he's come close. We're still in the same seat that we're normally always in, but all of a sudden we feel him come close. You may be reading your word, and it's a familiar passage, but all of a sudden, the passage comes alive like a rhema. It's not just now logos. It's not just the written word. 
But all of a sudden it becomes the rhema, the revealed, the revelation of God's word. And, it, and, it, and it's not just a word for others, it's a word for you. That's God coming close. That's the Holy Spirit revealing his word and making it come alive to you. Those moments perhaps when, when people gather around you to pray with you and all of a sudden you feel the, the lightness, the you just feel all the lightness or the heaviness, however God ministers to you, you feel the lightness of God where you just feel like you just feel light. Or the heaviness where you just But that's God coming close to you. And that doesn't have to wait until a Sunday moment. It can be our experience daily as we choose to humble ourselves before God, to draw near to him in his word or in prayer or in worship, and then allowing him to draw near. Do you know the key for him drawing near is time? Oh, we live in a fast-paced world, don't we, where we have to get on. I'm going to do my, my two-minute, five-minute, ten-minute, half-hour Bible study first thing in the morning, my devotional time. Oh, look at the time. I've got to rush. And we pray and we give our time to the Lord, but we don't then linger as he chooses to draw near to you. Come on, let's make a space for the Lord to come close in our life. Experiencing the presence of God isn't something new. The very first man that God ever created, we read in Genesis how God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. Adam didn't go looking for God. God came looking for Adam. Adam was about his daily business. He'd God gave them Eve. They were about their daily business. And then one day we read, and God came in the cool of the day looking for Adam. He wasn't where he usually would be. He wasn't in that place where he would normally commune and have relationship and connect with him. Why sin entered his heart and he hid himself away. Sin in our lives, will cause you to hide from the presence of God rather than step into the presence of God. Come on, let's, let's keep short accounts of these wrongs in our life, the short accounts of unforgiveness, short accounts of all those negative things that would hinder the presence of God and us connecting with him in our lives. God created man so that he could fellowship with him. So God wants to know you, to fellowship with you, to walk with you, to reveal himself to you, to speak with you every day of our life. Not on a now and again occurrence, but a daily process in our life. So sin can be an issue. But how about we take the presence of God for granted? We become all too familiar with our Christianity or with God's Word. Or How many times have you opened up the Word of God and thought, oh yeah, I know that scripture, I'll find one I don't know. Or find one I'm not so familiar with. And yet God wanted to speak to you with that familiar scripture, that, 
that thought he was going to he was going to peel back the onion that little bit more and and reveal something or speak into your heart something but you became so familiar with that passage you know i could think of numerous passages psalm 91 for, for for when our children were young we we quoted it from the amplified over and over day after day we could have become so familiar with Psalm 91, and it's from the Amplified Version, longer version. We could have become so familiar, but we chose to purposefully declare that over our family and over the protection of those around us and our lives too. We could get so familiar with the, the events of Jesus' life and how with the woman with the issue of blood, how she pressed through the crowd and said, I, I know that story, I, I know that let me find one I don't know. But maybe God was wanting to say, today, if you press in, you will encounter me. At a higher level, a newer level, a healing level, however that level would be. But actually, we need to leave the place where we feel comfortable. That place where we say, well, I'll give God this much of who I am. I may clap now and again in church, or I may raise a hand, or I may raise my hands down here. But whatever it is, he's saying, I want to press in. I need you to press beyond what you're familiar with so that, I, so that you can encounter something. See, the woman with the issue of blood would never have encountered the healing had she had stayed in her home and said, if only, because she was saying it, if only I could touch the hem of his garment. Desire was there, but desire wasn't going to heal her. She had to leave that which was familiar to step out into that which was difficult or dangerous so that she could obtain her healing that Jesus wasn't even aware, so-called, that she was going to touch the hem of his garment. Who touched me? Disciples were saying, look at all these people who touched. You know, they were all pushing and thronging. And, and, you know, but one touched me with the touch of faith. One kept saying, if only I touch his garment. That's why it's so important we don't get so familiar with the word of God. We don't get so familiar with our worship services. I, 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 as I was standing in worship, I thought back to the days when we were in Broom Park School and where worship was then and worship, where worship is today. Where will worship be in another three years? What were the. I stood here this morning thinking anything could happen. We're in a moment here in this place where God can supernaturally manifest in power in people's lives, bringing divine miracles. I believe it. Two or three agree concerning anything, it shall be done. There's a few of us in the room that believe we serve a miracle working God. Where nothing is impossible to him and miracles can break out. My mum last Sunday, she came running up, well, trotting up to the front. I can't say she ran, but she did come up rather fast, but most people were leaving. She said, Jeff, I've sat in the meeting all morning long without my hearing aids. For the first time, I was able to hear everything that was being said from the front. 
was was that a divine out of the box miracle that took place? I, I I didn't go and pray for my mum. I don't know if anyone else went and prayed for my mum, but I do know a week previous she had listened to a message I'd spoken in 2009 about faith and healing. And it so fired her up that she said, this week, I'm believing, I'm praying, I'm declaring over my life, the promises of God are yes and amen. And she got her miracle. Anything can happen in this place. Anything. Anything. Let me read. Because you may be here and you may be like a particular guy in the Bible named Thomas. I doubt it. <laughs> anyway, I'm running out of time. I can't, I can't go down the jokes. It's like, Thomas, look at, look at Thomas's life. I doubt it would happen. I doubt Jesus would be raised from the dead. I doubt he's the Messiah. I doubt he's going to minister into... He was just he was nicknamed. He was known as Doubting Thomas. Known as the one who would doubt... You may be here this morning and you may doubt that God will heal you supernaturally. That God may break into your family situation. That God may do this for you. He may do it for all these nice other people. But why would he do this for me? We could be a a Thomas. Let me read this. Now Thomas called the twin, uh, John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. So he was absent. We don't know where he was. We don't know what was going on in his life. But clearly, Thomas didn't encounter Jesus when he drew near to the other 11. He was absent. Maybe the guy said, look, we're going to get together and we're going to pray. And Thomas said, I doubt it. Maybe Jesus would turn up if we all gathered together. I doubt it. Who knows what was going through Thomas? He, he may have had a wife at home saying, you're not going to that prayer meeting, Thomas. And then he was torn between the two of what to do. He may have gone back to his secular work thinking, I doubt Jesus is going to come back. I'm going to go back. To... Who knows? But we know he wasn't there. And in verse 25, the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, I doubt it. In other words, unless I see his hand print, uh, the hands and the prints of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. That to me is a guy who is absolute. He believes, he's not doubting now. I, he, he, he doesn't doubt his doubts. He doubts his beliefs. How many of us go down that line? We doubt our beliefs, but we don't doubt our doubts. Here, doubting Thomas doubted that Jesus was alive. And he was absolute about his doubts. I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were there again inside. And Thomas was with them. And Jesus came and the door being shut and he stood in the midst And said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, see, Jesus only went there for one reason. He stood there and he said, peace, guys. Thomas, come here. No one else was in the room. 
as far as Jesus was concerned. Thomas, you're the guy I need to deal with. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hand. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. We don't know what happened next. Did Thomas, seeing the handprints of Jesus, say, let me feel that? (laughs) (laughs) Or was his immediate response what we see here? And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. In other words, in Hebrew, Yahweh, Elohim, my God, my God. Then Jesus said to them, or said to Thomas, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. This is our bit. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's ours. We've not seen him with our eyes, but he said, you who believe, who have not yet seen, blessed are you. Empowered to prosper are you. That's our life. That's be- it's, it, it, was, it was hard for Thomas to get his hand around it, his head around it, but he saw what he saw. And he said, Elohim, Yahweh. You are my God. And he says, blessed are we who believe and not seen. That was an encounter just for Thomas. It was an encounter for a man who doubted. It was an encounter for someone who was at a distance compared to the rest of the disciples. He was elsewhere. He didn't go seeking Jesus. Jesus came seeking him. How many people do we know that are backslidden, our prodigal people, people that once walked with the Lord who are now no longer, our kids who we brought up in the house of the Lord but have gone their own way doing their own thing? I doubt he's real. Come on. Let's pray. Jesus, come close. Come close to them. They may not be coming close to you, but Lord, you come close to them so that they encountered the living God. I want to look at another one. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 5. Then Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priests and asked them for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way... Whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So often we we look at our unsaved friends, family, workmates, people that don't like us, 
whoever that may be, and you think, how would Jesus ever win them over? Lord, I, I, I find it really hard speaking to this person, or I find it really, I, to bring up Jesus amongst my family is just causing splits and division. This here, I, I can guarantee you the New Testament church were praying for Paul, for Saul. The enemy of the church who had gone, gone and got letters again, again and again, to go and get letters to, to imprison, to torture, and to kill Christians. I can guarantee you they were praying for him. Lord, heap, heap, heapfuls of love upon this man's life. Break his heart for the things that breaks yours. There may have been some that were saying, Lord, call down fire from heaven, burn him up. But there, 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 were, there, were, you know, there was all sorts of hearts that were going on. But God heard the prayers of the saints saying, save this man. We, many of us would know people. If only they would get saved. They would be such a, a mouthpiece for God. They would be so on fire. They would be amazing people. We've all thought it, haven't we? We all know people like that. But you know what? If Jesus came close to this man, Saul, who was a Christian killer, on his way to persecute more Christians, he can reach out into your boss's life. He can reach out into your unsaved husband or wife's life. He can reach out into your unsaved children's life. He can come close to them. But I tell you what it takes for a man or a woman to stand in the gap and intercede. God, I'm believing that you will intervene and come close to my son. That he would call upon the name of the Lord and will be saved. I call, I stand in the gap. See, this is where we need, a, we need Christianity, Christianity can't be just a Sunday gathering. It's the intensity of our Christian experience coming before God and saying, God, I love my family with all of my heart. And I believe that you come close to them this day and move in their life and bring transformation, bring change in their hearts that they would know you. And I believe that's exactly what happened in Saul's life. God moved miraculously. Divine intervention. I believe in divine intervention. I believe in moments where God suddenly turns up in a person's life. I remember when I was young and I was in, the, in, in Fairham Baptist Church, the one along Fairham Gospel Road, and I, 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 just, I was a young child. It was the most boring place on earth as far as I was concerned. The, the whole of the front is about three times as high as this, and the whole thing was stars. If you've been in church any length of time, you've heard me tell this story. It was all full of stars. I was sat mm, sort of front or second row, and I would sit there. My dad was doing the recordings, and I would sit there just counting the stars <laughs> just to pass the time. I could only count up to probably 100, and then I'd have to start again, but it was, it was better, better doing that than listening to the guy. But I remember this guy one day, he told this story. I think it was Roy Connor. And he was talking, it might be Mr. Tribe. Mr. Tribe was a really old gentleman. And he told this story 
about a group of youths that broke into a church and they threw the hymn books around. One was urinating in the corner of the church. They were just wrecking the place. And the minister was driving past and he saw the light was on. So he stopped his car and went into the church to see what was happening. And these four or five youths gathered around him and he said, look, I'm not going to report you. (laughs) They said, you would have a hard job. And he said, but I want to pray for you. Clearly you don't know God. Clearly you don't care about God. But I want to pray for you. And at that moment, as he began to pray, most of the youth ran. But one stayed there, the leader of the group, the toughest, nastiest individual. And he opened his eyes, and he was stood, stood there. And this youth turned around and said, that did nothing for me. So the old preacher turned around and said, look, I challenge you. You stand before that cross. And you turn around and say, Jesus, you died for me and I don't care. And he said, I can do that. So he stood before the cross. And he said, Jesus, you died for me and I don't care. And the old minister said, say it louder. And he got louder and louder and louder until he fell on his knees and began to repent. Jesus, you died for me and I do care. And it changed. It was a God encounter. The pastor could have gone a different way home. He could have gone at a different time, at a different moment. But, but I don't believe in coincidences. Ordained moments. Your loved ones have an ordained moment that is yet to happen. Where God intervenes and brings them because he's drawn close to them. I want to finish with one last one. This is one of my, probably one of my, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. One of my favorite events. I'm going to read it all because there's a, there's a lot to read. Okay, I'm going to read it without interruption. Luke 24, verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things that had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near. When they talk about the word. Oh, I can't help myself. When they talk about the word. See, when you're talking, if I heard you talking about me, I would draw near. What are they saying? Yeah? It's true. If I saw Malcolm and, and Pavel at the back, and I suddenly was walking past and I heard them say something about Jeff... So hang on, what did they say about me? That is exactly the same thing when we open the word of God. Jesus, I and, my, and the word are one. When Jesus hears us reading his word, he comes near. Remember that. Every time you open the word, he comes near. Okay, let me, f- I said I wouldn't, I'm going to. So it was when they conversed and reasoned that Jesus drew near and went with them, and their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem 
uh, and, and have not known the things that have happened in these days? And Jesus responded and said to them, what things? I love that. What things? Is it, is it what? What's just taken place? I, Jesus has such a sense of humor. Too many Christians think God is serious. He's seriously funny. He's serious. What things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus and Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying they had, all, uh, they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had, women had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. In all the things that the prophets had spoken, ought not the Christ who suffered these things and had entered into glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expanded, expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So from the book of Moses, from the things that Moses wrote, Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and all the prophets through, we see that Jesus used every one of them to reveal himself. I heard it recently that if you look closely enough, you can see Jesus on every page. I haven't worked that one out yet. I haven't. But if he's the author and the finisher, he was there at the beginning, he's there at the end. He's there all the way through. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expanded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning him. And they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would go further. See, Jesus not only draws alongside, but he's, he's willing to come on the inside. Of anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. But he indicated that he was going to go further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in and stayed with them. And now it came to pass that as he sat at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave, them, gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. They encountered the living Jesus. We can do that. I don't know when the last time you took communion at home, but why not? Get the bread, get the wine. On your own, as a couple, as a family, read this passage. And he opened their eyes to what was going on. That he truly was the Christ. Jesus himself had drawn near to these disciples. And, he said to, and they said to one another, Did our hearts not burn with, 
Don't did our hearts not burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scripture to us? See, the presence of God will cause your heart to burn. The word will cause your heart to burn. Him drawing near will cause your heart to burn. See, no wonder when John turned around and said, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming greater than I. He will baptize you with water and fire. There's going to come. There's coming in this time. Not only the igniting within us. Jeremiah turned around in the Old Testament and he said, he said I, I'm not, I cannot, I cannot withhold your word any longer. It's like a fire in my bones. I believe there's coming a time, church, when the fire of God breaks in this place to such a degree. See, oh, who was it? Was it John Knox? There was one old-time minister who turned around and said, I long for the day when, the, when a man of God gets on fire for God, for others will come and watch him burn. Not Wesley, thank you. Not in the natural but on fire on the inside, on fire for God, for the things of God, hungering and thirsting for more of who he is. Did not our hearts burn within us as he opened up the scripture? So they arose that very hour and returned to, to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those that were, were with them and gathered together. There's something about the gathering together. They weren't going to go off in their own thing. They said, come on, let's gather together. That's why Sundays are powerful and the, the, the presence of God is beautiful. And the coming together and the fellowship, the relationship, and what we do as the house of God. I'm going to finish with, with this one line. Every time we open up the word of God, let's be conscious of his presence and allow the fire of God to burn in our hearts. Because that is what he wants to do. Add fuel to the fire in our life. And do you know what? It starts with one prayer. This, this understand, this relationship, this journey. When you look at these individuals, there were those who doubted. There were those who were discouraged. But there were those who did not believe. This morning, I could pray for each three group, but I want to pray if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you sit in the realm where Saul was. But I do believe that Jesus has come close this morning. And we want to pray as a church. Let's pray together. It's a prayer of introduction. It's a prayer of inviting Jesus into your heart. So let's pray. I'm going to pray it nice and loud. Let's pray all nice and loud together, just in case there's someone in this room that this word has touched your life and you want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. So let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you today that you come near. Jesus, right now, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. What you did at the cross, you did it for me and for the whole world. Jesus, take my sin. Take my wrongs, take my faults, 
And today, I receive your goodness. I receive your forgiveness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. While every head is bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer sincerely in your heart today, and you're saying, Jesus, I'm stepping back into your relationship, or I'm accepting you for the very first time, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to pop up your hand. One, two, three. If you prayed that prayer this morning, just pop up your hand and pop it back down. Thank you. I'll see that hand. Is there anybody else in this room? You say, yeah, count me in. I prayed that prayer. I mean that prayer. Is there anybody else in this room this morning? Father, I thank you. You said that there is rejoicing in heaven over one who returns to you, who gives their lives to you. And Father, this morning, we just want to give you thanks for your word and for the result of lives being impacted and touched by you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill this individual and touch them with the love of God right now. And Father, may the rest of us, Lord, Doubt the doubts, but only believe. Lord, may we doubt those doubts that get in the way. And Lord, may we deal with the sin or the things that cause us to be at distance to you. Lord, may we draw near to you and see you draw near to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.